You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Crippled Content Creations and Podcast Jukebox present Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark. My name is, of course, Andrew Gerza. I am your disability awareness consultant, your crippled content creator, and your disabled dicksmith, of course. Uh, Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this show started. First things first, we have a new Patreon donation that I want to give a shout out to. As promised, when you pledge $1 a month to the show, you get episodes early, one day early, and you get a cool, weird, awkward, funny shout out for me. Um, so this one comes to us from a really cool person out of, out of Australia, Susan Jarvis, who runs the Spicy Boudoir website and brand, which talks all about sexuality, aging, and getting older and being sexy. So she pledged $10 a month. Wow, $10 a month towards this this little program, which I really appreciate. Susan Jarvis, you are amazing. Thank you for, for, for Jarvis. I don't have a pun for your name, but you're great. Thank you for doing that and doing the work you do around the spicy boudoir. You have spiced up my life today with your donation. Thanks. If you want to pledge $1 a month or more, uh, and if you have the financial resources to do so, you can head over to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark. I cannot believe that this show has been on the air almost three years. As of September 7th, it'll be three years of this whole program, which is amazing, and thank you so much for listening and supporting the show for that long. It means the world. I have been thinking a lot about the trajectory of the show, though, and where I want the show to go, and I'm thinking that I want to expand it out past just disability and sexuality. I think I want to expand it out into more of a disability lifestyle podcast to talk about disability what it means to be disabled, what it means to to live the disabled life, how to be happy and disabled, how to be sexy and disabled, how to... All the things we're not talking about around disability. The whole mantra of this show for years has been 
shining a bright light on sex and disability. Well, I want to look at the things that we're not shining a bright light on when it comes to disability. When we talk about things like healthcare, when we talk about things like emotional stuff, when we talk about things like therapy, when we talk about things like um, abuse, I want to shine a light on all those things we're not talking enough about. So you make it episodes that are more disability-centered and not so much about sex, and you make it episodes that are even keel and you may get normal episodes like we normally do but i just want to expand it out more so we have more content for you each and every week just wanted to put that out there and now let's get started with the episode today on the show today i sit down with my friend leah and we talk about her experiences living in haifa israel right now studying the holocaust and being a disabled person and we talk about her experiences trying to navigate sexuality while having a whole host and a whole bunch of disabilities. Anything from asthma to PCOS to anxiety to many, many more things that we all talk about. So we talk about sexuality, disability, anxiety, and so many more things in this episode. We had such a good time. She was so fun to chat with. And I'm her very first podcast that she's ever been, been on. So that was cool. Uh... We had a really good time, and I love this interview, and I hope you do too. It's an important one because we talk about a lot of things. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Leah right now on Disability After Dark. Hey, Leah Sauter. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on today. Yeah, it's, I'm really excited. This is my first foray into podcasting, but it is something I have been really passionate about for a very long time. I am excited that I get to be your podcast cherry popping moment. This uh, this feels this feels really <laughs> this feels really special yes. now. Yes. Um so I not sure how we connected. I think one of the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, somewhere yes. somewhere that way. Uh but mm-hmm. when you sent in the form, you for, well first of all, before we before I gush about how we know each other, who are you? Tell us who you are and tell us what you do and tell us about your disabilities and tell us. Yeah, so I am currently a graduate student. I'm doing a master's program. I am currently in Haifa, Israel. Um, I'm at the university here and I'm doing a program in Holocaust history. Um, And my disability is kind of a few different things that kind of act like one thing. So I have ADHD, I have a panic disorder, and I have... Um, a sensory integration disorder. And then, just for fun, I also have asthma and PCOS. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a whole bunch of... That sounds (laughs) like a grab bag of disability joy all in one. Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I I had the great idea of having a learning disability and going into the field where I have to read the most. Oh, wow. How 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 do you manage all that? I actually use... um, a lot of programs for people with visual disabilities, I use um, a lot of screen readers. Um, And then there are some things that I just will have to take longer to read than most other people. Like um, for my field, I have to read a lot in Yiddish and there is no screen reader for Yiddish. I was just gonna say, like how how do you, like how, is there a cultural competency for, for like Yiddish or like Hebrew or any of that with screen readers? I would guess that there are for Hebrew, but unfortunately, Yiddish is not used by enough people that there's almost any accessibility. Um, it, of course, 
fell out of use in most communities by the 1950s or 60s, which was before the disability rights movement. Yeah, um, just before, like so close to just, just so near. Yeah. And then um, the communities that do use it in daily life still, I'm sure in Toronto, you're somewhat familiar, are quite insular communities yeah, that don't have a lot of access. Like I, I'm Jewish, but I'm Jewish more like yeah. culturally and not so much like... Yeah. And not so much like religiously. So right. my, my, my brief understanding of Yiddish is like, oh, it's kind of like Jewish slang that we used to like talk about, which is not necessarily yeah, the truth, but that's how it's... It's, it's like 70-ish percent German, but it's written with Hebrew letters, except it's slightly different because it has the vowels written into it. And then it also just has some Slavic languages thrown in there for fun. So, so it's very much like the language of the street. This makes like I guess this makes this is a whole new part of accessibility that I never considered. Like how do you Yeah. How and do we go about making that accessible? Yeah, it would be extremely difficult. Like the there are a few I know that Yiddish took a few forays into accessibility. I know that in there were schools for deaf children in Eastern Europe. And they almost certainly had essentially Yiddish slanged sign language, but no one knows what any of it was because no one ever studied it. Oh. And I'm, I know that there are um, things like Braille that can be used for Hebrew, but then Yiddish has just enough slight differences that it would be... I'm sure that if someone took some time and worked on it, they could figure out something with something like Braille, but ha and having a screen reader in the same way, that if a, if a screen reader can recognize a Hebrew letter, it can recognize a Yiddish letter, but the thing would be getting the voice to pronounce the letter correctly. With the right intonation and the accent. And the, right. Right. Exactly. We got to work on this disability community. This is so like, yes. this is something that I... <laughs> the yeah, the tiny part of the tiny part of the tiny part of the community. Yeah, all of the <laughs> all is, the little parts have to come together to make this go. Exactly, it's like a weird machine of people. Totally. One of the things I love on your form that you sent me, I was just reading it over just now before we record, and I started laughing because I asked on the form, you know, sometimes I'm a little bit flirty with my guests, and your response mm -hmm. to me was, and I love it so much, so much. You were like, "I'm a socially <laughs> awkward turtle," and I fell apart laughing because. <laughs> I too feel like a turtle. Like I, I make fun of my yes. sex and disability and call myself, you know, in the dead turtle position all in the time. In the turtle pose. Yeah. So I just laughed yes. when I saw that. Um, what do you? How do you? If you were to define socially awkward turtle, what is that? Um, for me, it's a lot like everyone's in on a joke, and I got seventy percent of it. That's the worst. <laughs> like um i for me i have a lot of very big very like i'm i get very passionate about things and that's where a lot of my especially in school where social awkwardness came in because it is not cool to be ex extremely excited about things that i was excited about in high school but for me, it is really that, like, I'm just working extra hard to try and get the social cues that it seems like everyone else got downloaded at some point. 
and I just missed that upgrade. <laughs> it's so funny how many guests I've had on the show who've said to me, literally, in mm-hmm. in almost the exact same terminology you just said, mm-hmm. that they are, you know, they're struggling to do the same thing. To just, yeah. to it's just interesting how how kind of universal that feeling when it comes to disability, whether we're talking about physical mm-hmm. disabilities, invisible disabilities, or both. That feeling exactly. of being just outside of whatever it is getting is really universal. Exactly. Yeah, and it's like you f- you feel sometimes you get you're like yes I got it and then oops no I no I'm <laughs> apparently cu- not. I'm curious. You said you know people didn't get excited about the things you got excited about in high school. What were the things you got excited about in high school? Well, for one, the Holocaust. <laughs> you know that there's a reason I went into this field. You know. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, for a long time, I wanted to be a forensic pathologist, um, which again, is I mean, not, I mean, well, I mean, I mean, although I gotta say there's now it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like, now, like, cool. now every other podcast is a murder crime podcast. <laughs> exactly. So I know, like if, if people had just been listening to my favorite murder when I was 14, I mean, or like wine and crime, like, yeah, like, yeah. Oh God. Yes. Like, it's it's cool now, but like yeah, yeah, I I will admit though when I was fourteen as a young Jewish queer kid, I wasn't like yeah the Holocaust like yeah like no you mostly just want to forget about it. So, trigger warning everyone. We are gonna I'm gonna yes. we are gonna talk a little bit about this and if if the Holocaust or discussions of that make you feel icky, it's okay to totally like yeah move ahead thirty seconds or hit that button mm-hmm. a few times because I wanna I want to chat about some of this stuff. So like. So, what about it interested you? Like, where were you kind of excited by it? Um, Honestly, the first... So, I kind of had a string of... I just got really, really passionate about a bunch of different things. And sort of randomly, I got interested in the Holocaust. Mostly because I was really the only Jewish student in my school. And so I was kind of struggling with... This is this big thing that makes me different... And there's this big part of it that is, I'm, you know, 10 and I don't understand at all. And my response as a kid to I don't understand something is to read every single book in the library that had anything about it. And unfortunately, that kind of passion about um, that topic really did not go over well with a lot of my peers. It was around the same time that we were actually starting to learn about it in school And being the only Jewish kid in the class, I often had the experience of, you know, the teacher would start talking about it and everyone turns and looks at me. And Really? Kids did that? Really? Oh, and it got much, much worse than that. Um, And because I was, you know, kind of the example of this thing we were learning in class, there were a group of students who started to bully me in what I more now understand as really anti-Semitic ways. And for a while, it made me be like, well, I don't get why you're making fun of me about this. So I'm just going to keep being excited about this until everyone else gets excited. So they thought that Um, because you were you were interested. And I think I'm going to choose even more than excited because excited sounds excited sounds. This is this is the, you know, terrible thing about my field is anything you say that is would be totally normal for any other field sounds Terrible for my field. (laughs) (laughs) 
So you were you but but to be fair, you were interested in the Holocaust, but I think and I think yeah. it's such an, as you know what, as a disabled person too, as a disabled mm-hmm. Jewish person, I think mm-hmm. your interest in the Holocaust at such a young age is also important because it, it can inform like I don't know what disabled people did in the Holocaust. I'm assuming they died. A lot of them were taken to the chambers and gassed. I know that as a for a fact, it's, actually. Yeah. But for those who survived, we they're not talked about. So I mm-hmm. think I think it's extremely important that you are excited in this field because mm-hmm. as a disabled person, you can bring a whole new lens to that that mm-hmm. someone else. And yes, there are some amazing testimonies of disabled people who survived. Send those to me. Just well, let's talk yes. about that because I that mm-hmm. just because that. Like that, mm-hmm. that has even just us talking about this now in this weird segment of the podcast that has mm-hmm. nothing to do about sex. Nothing to do. We'll get there. I promise. We're yeah. getting there. But it's you know it sparked my interest. So please, off mm-hmm. the air, send it to me. I'd love to. I'd love totally. to to be more invo- involved with that. But I want to move to the sex part because yes, yeah, let's talk about sex. So you're in. Hi- yeah, let's talk about sex, baby. Uh, you're in Haifa, Israel, right now. Yes. And I am so curious when I do this podcast, mm-hmm. I do it a lot from a Western idea of like what we think about sex. And I'm so curious now that you're there studying, what is your experience of being of being sexualized and disabled there? So for me, in terms of disability, the biggest thing is like the things that I had at university in the US for access, I kind of have to do myself here because I'm in the international school, which is not, does not have its own, like, disabled student services office. That's through the regular school, and I don't have um, good enough Hebrew to, like, work with that part of the school. Um, And in terms of, like, sexuality here is so complicated because it's all tied to all of the different ethnic and religious and cultural groups and there's because it's israel there's four thousand at least um wow yeah um so things like um geography are so important to what your experience is so like the experience of someone who was say disabled or queer or sex positive in tel aviv would be completely different from someone in Jerusalem, and they're not even an hour's bus ride away from each other. Wow. Yeah. So it's a um, huge, so it's, a huge cultural, not divide, but a huge like shift. Yeah. And so, in terms of like broad accessibility in Haifa, Haifa is built on a hill, a very very big hill. Okay, sounds immediately so, inaccessible and horrible. Yeah, I've got it. Yes. I'm, I mean, I'm sure that there's one guy who uses a wheelchair who's like, yes, I'm just going down the entire mountain. <laughs> but most of us are not that guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would be that guy, though. I kind of had that feeling. And yes, for the world's most epic wheelchair into sea race, Haifa would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and there's in terms of like comparison to like a Western context, I would say a lot of things are similar and other things are different. So like for example, buses don't have the same accessibility stuff that I was used to in my hometown. I'm from like two hours north of Seattle. 
um, in that they don't have lifts, but they do have a space for someone in a wheelchair to hook up. So, so it on. makes how no you, sense. Yeah, that, that, I have, it, I have yeah. so many. How do you how do you get on the bus to get it's in one the of those, spot? I have a feeling that it's one of those times where able-bodied people did an accessibility thing and didn't really get the complete memo. Oh, I mean, that just... So, like, so if you were trying to go on a date in Haifa and go, mm-hmm. like, around, and you were a wheelchair user, you could technically use the spot, but you just couldn't get in the bus. Um, on, And there's another thing where I'm not sure of all buses. I think there are some that have better stuff to get you on, but not all of them do. And so it's that kind of like, and like some taxis again, but not all, which, you know. This is going to be a weird random question, but from what you've Mm -hmm. seen, do they have, do you have, do they have like a dedicated, because I know in the States and in Canada, they have dedicated um, paratransit services for disabled people. Do they have that there? Mm -hmm. I have not seen, but um, the, you know, sign for whatever it is would be in Hebrew, and I wouldn't necessarily be able to read it. Okay, okay. So there very well could be, and I'm not aware of it. That is totally fair. Um, I don't know what question we were on, so I'm going to just move along (laughs) to the next one. Uh, Cool. (laughs) No, no, actually, there's a really good thing with my brain, is that is what it is like to be in my brain. If you're not quite sure what, what the question was, where you started, that's and kinda, now you're on a different thing. That's sort of what it's like to be in my brain, so I get it. I get it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, um, so you, you mentioned in your, in your questionnaire that it took you a really long time for you to be comfortable talking about sex, um, mm-hmm. and it's still kind of uncomfortable for you. Can you kind of tell me why and ex- talk to us about like what, and how disability maybe plays into all of that? So for me, I'm, I actually think that your podcast really helped me start to connect those two things. And that was what allowed me to be more comfortable talking about sex. Do you see the huge grin of my face right now? That's so, yes, that's so sweet. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. <laughs> yeah. So my, um, so obviously high school, not really getting the full memo of social anything, I was very uncomfortable with the concept of, like, meeting someone and dating them. Um, And for me, the way that my anxiety and my sensory issues um, play out in my body is, like, I need to have, like, absolute complete knowledge of what you're going to be doing. So... So you, Which is, I mean, you, and you hear me say on the show a lot about storyboarding. Mm-hmm. So you really need, like, mm-hmm. you need, like, the most extensive copy of the storyboard book of the sex you're going to have. Like, so, what yeah. is, so, like, okay, if you were to storyboard a date or sex or some mm-hmm. kind of intimacy, how, what would that look like for you? Um, well, the first thing would be, like, being like I would go and meet the person and I would hope that they would be okay that I'm not gonna be looking at them a lot of the time. Um eye contact is hard. Eye contact is the worst. <laughs> I'm sure, I I'm sure like, you've noticed that I have been doing every single trick in the book to not make eye contact through this entire Oh no, I left two seconds ago. <laughs> two, and then two seconds ago I made you look at the screen and look I'm sorry I didn't realize <laughs> <laughs> 
um, and then, um, like, for me, that kind of, like, informed consent words, like, is it okay if I kiss you now? That is great. I think that's great for everyone. Yeah. Because, um, like, the whole, I'm going to subtly be subtle and be subtly asking you with my body, body language if it is okay to kiss you now makes me anxious. Um, Does it make you anxious in a good way or anxious in, like, a, like a really, this feels really bad sort of way? More of a, this feels, and more in between, where, like, if I'm in enough of the romantic mood, I'll be like, oh, that was what was happening. Cool. But if I'm not in that mood, I'll be like, whoa, huh? No. No. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so. So you really do need a yeah. playbook of, like, what? I do not like. Yeah. And, um, like, a part. And I have had the. I have only had one partner. Um, sexually, and we've been together for about two years now. Um, so we have pretty good communication. <laughs> so that works well. Um, and so for me, that kind of like, I know you really well. I kind of know what you're going to do most of the time. In terms of like, a playbook works really good. <laughs> so the whole idea of like, because in so much of queerness, there's this mm -hmm. idea of spontaneity and like, I mm -hmm. don't know you and we're going to fuck around, it doesn't matter. So that's, yeah. so for you, because mm -hmm. your disabilities and, and your, you, all the things yep. together that's off the table for you. Yeah, that's a whole pile of nope. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's not something that I don't find like a sexy idea. Like if I were going to, you know, go out into a box, like, in my head, I can get the idea of I'm going to go out into a bar and meet a person and it's going to be romantic and we're just going to have a night. And then the reality of, oh, I go into a bar and my lungs explode. And then I meet the person and I'm going to have to touch every part of their body that is, you know, makes my anxiety go off. And they're going to have to touch every part of my body that is way too sensitive and we're going to have to exchange you know intimacy in that way without having any prior knowledge it's just like mm, or not so how did you so when you're like so so yeah that would make sex really tough because mm -hmm. like you yeah you can't because your anxiety and all those things are telling you you can't touch mm -hmm. somebody when yes how we understand sex and intimacy is through touch so that like, mm -hmm. that would definitely change the game how did you Mm -hmm. How did you manage that? Or I guess you just you just decided that, like, okay. Ba I basically decided I am with this person. I like this person. I'm going to have sex with this person. And, I mean, this is kind of the way that I've dealt with my disabilities my whole life, is to just be like, I am going to just plow with my head down and do the thing. So that was kind of how I approached sex for the first time was I really like this person and I'm just going to plow my head down and do the thing. I like how Which, you said yeah. sex and then you use the word plow. I'm here for whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, huh? 
Um, I'm sure you put your head down and plow through things. I'm sure that's what happened. Uh, but <laughs> so it's uh, because of your disability, it's almost like it's like it's like not a chore, but it's something you had to you had to find a really specific comfortability in. Mm-hmm. And I had to be really comfortable and know exactly what my body liked before I could even think about that, anyone. That's so hard. I'm 35 and I've had a mm-hmm. lot of sex with a lot of different people. And I can mm-hmm. tell you, I don't know what my body likes right now. Yeah. Right this very second, if somebody was like, I want to do sex things to you, I'd be like, I don't, cool, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's difficult. It's good. It's and I mean you're also the you're, world is weird. also you're only twenty three. Like I am only twenty three. Like, I am a baby. You're a baby <laughs> disabled queer person. Like fucking hell. Yes. I didn't yes. know who I was at twenty three, and I don't know who I am mm-hmm. right now. So I can imagine like I yeah. don't identify as having a predominantly invisible dis- set of disabilities. So like mm-hmm. I don't know all of the things. I understand disability, anxiety, and sex stuff from a whole mm-hmm. different lens. I can imagine. Because when I'm looking at you on the on the mm-hmm. Skype here, you don't look. I don't. I don't. I'm not reading you as a disabled person, so mm-hmm. I can imagine you trying to figure out all this stuff around sex being read right. invisibly was hard. I mean, there with invisible disabilities, there's this like coming out aspect, in kind of the same way there is with queerness, where mm-hmm. you you like meet someone and you're like, by the way. I do not like touching parts of you that touch the bathroom. And unfortunately, that is all of the parts that do sex. (laughs) Well, it is a portion. It's a part of the parts that do sex, but it is not all of them. I love this episode already because it's so (laughs) weird and it's gone down so many weird rabbit holes. This is is one of my favorite ones so far. Yeah, well, so part of my anxiety is OCD, and I do have, like, there's so many different ways to have OCD, and the the thing that I have is the contamination thing, where it's, like, it doesn't even come with, like, like, none, like, the thing with, like, OCD anxiety is none of it has to have any basis in any form of reality, so, like, for most of my life, I did not feel comfortable, like, wearing shorts or no pants to bed because I touched the world my bed has to be sanitary so no part of me that has touched the world can touch my bed so wow just in terms of like sex that's gotta make things Mm -hmm. that's that's gotta make things like okay so totally joking here but Mm -hmm. do you like do you like cling wrap your bed like how do you what um no but I do, um, like, I think that's, it comes back to, like, uh, that's why I need to know the person, is because I need to be able to have them know that I have this extra level of anxiety, and we're going to be doing a thing that makes that anxiety, exponentially rear up. Yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, and it's not realistic to put into place, you know, things that make that anxiety that would make that anxiety go away because the truth is that even cling wrapping the bed would not make that anxiety go away because it's not reality based um are you hearing the things that i have been told by 
4,000 different therapists so since I was four. Th this um, is so complicated because you understand mm -hmm. intellectually that this is not, mm -hmm. none of this yes. anxiety is real. Like, that's why it's, yeah. that's why. But it, it completely does not matter to my brain. Yeah, like that, I can imagine that would make dating and sex and any kind of intimacy mm -hmm. extremely difficult because your brain mm -hmm. is giving you signals that are not real, that are not based exactly. in, grounded in any kind of realness, but mm -hmm. you are still feeling it on an emotional level. So exactly. how do you, like, how, okay, so what, so you talked a minute ago about coming out. How do you, how mm -hmm. do you share that with somebody? Like, what is your... I tend to do it slowly because to, like, explain all of the different things at once would be I don't know it would be a lot it's overwhelming um, for them and it's overwhelming for you but for you especially yeah. because like um, I have I have CP and I'm a wheelchair user mm -hmm. and I usually start and stop there but I don't also yeah. be like and then I have this and then I and then I like give <laughs> and then the this sometimes happens but not all of the time yeah <laughs> yeah so for you know, because I really only have the one, um, you know, partner experience. For me, have like them being okay with the parts of my anxiety that I thought made me someone you would not want to have sex with needed to come before we were actually in a relationship. Um, Okay, so, so I, was, I was listening yeah. to you. You know when you're listening to somebody and you're listening so intently, mm -hmm. you're not actually hearing what mm -hmm. they're saying? Can you say that again mm -hmm. for me? Just Yeah. Um, so for me with my partner, kind of the having all of these slow conversations about my disability and having him aware of the things like my um, OCD and my, you know, my sensory stuff needed to come before we were actually in a relationship. So just as, um, as and friends. And certainly before, right. So just as like a friendship, you had to be like, hey, I have all this. Right. But even, even yeah. disclosing that to a friend is hard. Like how, what did that mm -hmm. disclosure look like? How did you set that up? Um, it happened, yeah, it also happened slowly. So we met, um, I think about, eight or nine months before we started dating. Um, and he also has anxiety. So I was able to, you know, kind of discuss some of these things. And when we met, I was actually going through a really, really difficult period with my anxiety and OCD. So it was something that I was having to bring up all the time. So I'm like, I am having all of this anxiety about things that, you know, don't really make any sense um and what I needed to hear from him was you know the it you know he just really said the right things at the right times of that's okay that's okay yes you know I'm good with that I'm still gonna talk to you I still you know we're good and then those are such important like people don't understand I, mm -hmm. all I want is somebody who mm -hmm. whose body I, I eventually will want to touch tell me that all my shit mm -hmm. literally and figuratively yeah. is something it's okay, that it's okay and they'll be there though they're gonna stay mm -hmm. yeah exactly um yeah so it was really i don't know how it would be in a different relationship because i really only have that one experience um but him being open to 
all of my stuff um, is what has kept the relationship going. Like, the things I always go, like, we've been, um, you know, apart from, like, like, there's a an ocean and two continents between us currently. Um, and the things that I go back to are when he's been okay with my disability. And that's the things that are like, that I hold and I remember and are really special that's, moments. Oh, that, that warms my, like, that warms my queer cripple heart so much right there because, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> well, we don't hear, we, it's, it's hard to... Mm-hmm we hear about all the ableism and all the sexual ableism mm-hmm. we deal with every day. So to hear mm-hmm. that like you have a partner who is, and not to put him on a pedestal above you or anything, but just to like, to, to see that there's an acceptance there, no matter what is a big deal. Mm-hmm. He's going to blush so hard when he hears that. Um, well, tell him that I say hi. Uh, <laughs> he will say hi back. Uh, um, <laughs> But no, I just think it's great that you two as partners, like that somebody who, and also the fact that he has anxiety is great because mm-hmm. in a way you're both disabled and you can share that together mm-hmm. and it makes exactly. probably the relationship that much stronger. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Which I think is just so great and so important. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the things I love that you said in your form that I want to hear more about is your... Tell me about, and I think you may have talked about this a little bit, but we didn't give it a name. Tell me about integration dysfunction. Yeah, so it is, it's called sensory integration dysfunction. And this is all, I kind of got these three diagnoses of like ADHD slash learning disability, um, panic or anxiety disorder, and sensory integration all at the same time. And Wow, that's um, a, that was a big diagnosis day. Yeah. Like I mean, I was seven. I don't really remember it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, for me, they really all three work together. And for me, sensory integration is a lot of different things. So it's that touching is not good. And I've done many, many really terrible hours of essentially touch therapy. Um that sounds, These are so that just sounds horrible now that I know that Ted is horrific. Um, so I was about eight or nine and it was through like occupational therapy. So um, it was going to this place once a week where she would spin me on big spinning chairs because I did not get par- I did not get dizzy for um, like because my brain wasn't getting normal sense, normal, quote unquote, like sensory data, I could not get dizzy. Like you could have spun me around for like eight hours and I would not get dizzy. That sounds um, kind of awesome. I know, I know it's probably... It was awesome and she broke it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was my superpower and she took it away. Um, no, but, you know, she would spin me around and spin me around and we would work on, you know, fine motor writing skills and then would come the really terrible parts where she would roll me up in a rug. Um, what? Hang on. <laughs> these, so these were the ones that, like, we did... We tried to do daily, but, my, but like, it was just impossible. Your was, OT rolled you in a... Why? It's to, because it's... Have you heard of deep pressure therapy? Kind of like the... Kind of like with with other... With 
forms of autism where like they hug forever, right? Yes. So my kind of those my disabilities together work very much like autism spectrum disorder. Um, I've never been tested for it, but my experiences and my what I use for accessibility are very similar. Um, and so it was to basically get sensory stuff going on to my whole body, which, you know, was to have the fabric touching every part of you and for you to be like really like um, curled up. And, Were you meant to feel safe in this environment? Um, I mean, it was meant to be something that was done by someone who I trusted. So um, I really don't know if it was something that was supposed to make you feel safe. It was something that was supposed to make it so <clears throat> I could function. Yeah, which, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if I yeah. would. If I don't think that they ever rolled me up in a carpet when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> well, I hope they didn't, because it wasn't pleasant. <laughs> and had they done so, I don't know if I would have felt happy about anything after that. No, I did not feel happy about it. Um, and, you know, it was not something that would have we would have been doing if my sensory disorder wasn't making other things unsafe. So at that time, I was not able to hold my mom's hand. Okay. Like that was the level of touch I couldn't stand, so that kind especially of made, when like, I was panicking. So that kind of made, like, walking down the street or doing anything safe with your parents really hard to do. Right, because, I mean, I was a very obedient child, and I was old enough that they could say, you know, Leah, don't walk into the street. But as a parent, you're never going to feel like your eight-year-old is safe if you can't hold them without them screaming. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so I know that it was an important thing for my own safety, but it was not a pleasant thing. Um, and then the other one I hated was the brush where there's this little plastic brush that they would brush all the way up and down my arms and legs. Ew. Oh, the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst. And again, it's just like overloading your sensory system to make you, your, your system like used to touch which mm. i really hope there are better options now i suppose <laughs> it makes basically sense. all i like, can say about I that i suppose it makes some sort of like logical sense and a theoretical idea yeah but when you're dealing with a person that just shouldn't be an option mm-hmm. yeah i i really hope that there are better options now so like, um, all of this obviously affected how you saw your body later in life and how you saw mm-hmm. sex and tell me a little bit more about that oh yeah well you know like, I did not feel particularly comfortable, like, giving someone, like, the ability to just, like, have, to have the ability to, like, touch my body in ways where I wasn't already in their brain and didn't know what they were going to be doing, um, which definitely made, it still makes um, sex more difficult, and that's, I think, maybe partially from, you know, these were things that I did not want to be experiencing as a small child, but it's also just because that is how my sensory disorder works is that the, the worst kind of touch is touch that I don't have control over. Like I can rub my body as much as I want, but like even touch that I want that someone else is doing yep. 
gets overwhelming at a certain point. And so do you do you and your partner have like a disability safe word that you use when that happens? Like is there Um not specifically like a single word, but I will say, you know, I am like touched out. I can't do any more touching. Um that's, and that that's a great first of all, that's a great term that's great yeah. terminology which I've heard used before. Mm-hmm. So that's that's amazing. Yeah. And so yeah. how does your partner respond to that? Like, is he like, cause you know, when we think about intimacy, we think about yeah. touch I mean, is like the way yeah. we touch each other. I so mean, I can imagine he's receptive, but also a little bit yeah. like, Oh, I wanted to. Yeah. In terms of like when we're actually having sex, it's, you know, just immediate. But when it's like we're cuddling and he's, you know, wanting to just, have someone hold him because that is a completely you know that is a thing that people want i'm told um um, i can i can vouch for the view i can vouch for people that it is the thing people want it is Mm -hmm. yeah um because then it's you know he is of course always receptive and, and is you know okay but when it's something like we're snuggling on the couch. I can tell that he's sad. And so do you feel like, cause I would feel as a partner, I would feel mm-hmm. really angry. Not, not, not because you've done anything wrong, but because your disability mm-hmm. is kind of forcing this on you and, and you want to, but yeah. you can't. Yeah. I definitely feel that sometimes. And like, because it's not something where I, I have, because it is like an invisible thing. I have, sometimes this worry that like but what if I did just push myself more what it you know nothing would happen my body would not implode because intellectually I know that's true but emotionally you know, that's not that isn't necessary. it is not true yeah yeah right like that's that I mean so but but you also mentioned that you and your partner you know you have you said in your form and I love it so much you're like mm-hmm. you you guys have it's crazy hard sometimes, but you have a great relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah. what are some of the times, other than him reassuring you of being disabled, like, mm-hmm. what are some of the moments that you really, that make that relationship stronger? Um, well, we're both complete nerds, so, um, but we're nerds about different things. So, like, I think probably this, like, the other strongest thing that we do is, like, tell each other to watch a movie and then not watch it. Uh, No. Um, Is like, just share each other's weird nerdiness. Um, So like, um, there was a day that we both really like to remember because we've had a long distance relationship for a good part of our relationship. There's a lot of like, we're just going to have like a day that's just like, we're going to do all the things. Um, So there was one where we sat on the couch and watched... um, like uh, some of his obscure weird movies. Like there was one called It's a Beautiful Day, I think is what it was called. It was this very weird like animation movie that's completely like not the kind of movie that I would gravitate towards, but I ended up enjoying. Um, And we have a lot of kind of like opposites. So we do a lot of things that's, kind of I, f- I feel like he pushes me and I'm sure that 
he feels I push him. And that's, I mean, I think that's, I think that with any partnership, that's great. But also because, mm-hmm. because you have, you both have anxiety and you have such a complex, like, set of disabilities. That's probably, that's probably, and I, again, I'm very careful how I'm wording this. That's probably mm-hmm. comforting for you because mm-hmm. we can so often sometimes get in our own heads with disability. Yeah. To have somebody and pull you out of that mm-hmm. a little bit. And, yeah, and, like, um, one of the things that is hardest for me is trying new things or having my schedule messed with or trying a thing that is not what I normally do. So, like, even something like watching a movie that is completely not one I would normally pick is a thing that is pushing against what my brain wants to do and like so like yeah that whole idea that makes any kind of new sex thing mm-hmm. really i can imagine like the whole idea of your brain wants to do like so you must so it must be hard for him and for, or for both of you to mm-hmm. say like hey i want to try this thing yeah does that take like because typically when people say I want to try this thing, they try it right away. Does that take, like, um, time? It does take a little bit more time. Um, and mostly, um, like, I mean, we're just, like, like so awkward together. So, we'll, so like, I'll, you know, like, one of us will hint, like, oh, I, I liked when I did, when you, like, when we're not in, like, an actual sexy situation. And be like, oh, I liked when you did the thing, the thing. Um... And that'll be, like, mentioning that a couple times and then trying it definitely helps. That, I mean, that's such, a, that's such an important thing to know. So, like, basically, mm-hmm. what anybody with, who's dealing with a partner with anxiety and all these things, mm-hmm. take your time. Go slow. Oh, yes. Unless the person is saying go fast. Basically, this goes back yeah. to our <laughs> ever-arching discussions of disability and consent. <laughs> yes. Listen to the disabled person when they tell you a thing. Oh, yes. Um, one of the things I like on your form, too, is you talk about having hypermobility and weird muscle tone in your hands. Mm-hmm. Me, too. Yes. Tell me about what kind of sex toys have worked for you. Um, I have so far only tried one, um, and... I got one that had a bigger handle, basically. Um, and so something that I could basically just... Grab onto. Gra- grab onto, right. So was it um, like the, a dildo with a bigger handle then? Um, it was a vibrator with a bigger handle. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, so like my... For me, it's like... I can, I can, like, how do I explain my weird hands? Like, there's some things that are fine motor that I can totally do. Like, I've complete, like, I love sewing, and I've trained myself to do that specific motion for longer than any other motion. Um, wow, that's, but a, like, that's a really fine motor skill thing that I, like, wow. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's complete, it's like, in terms of that, it makes no sense, because, like, I know that I can sew longer than I can write, like my hand hurts after writing for like five, ten minutes, but I can sew for like an hour ish, 
I mean, my hand hurts afterwards, but I can do it. I'm just trying to think of um, if either of those things, like, connect to sex or masturbation or, like, just do the... I've definitely had the experience of, like, just stopping halfway through because, like, my hand hurts. All the, me, me all the time. I'll start <laughs> and I'll be like, I am not doing this anymore. We're done. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so definitely accessible sex toys are not even just for phys- physical disabilities. Oh, don't worry. I'm working yeah. on the things to make that go. It's it's happening. Um, is there is there an auto, audible way to do the, the eyebrow wiggle? <laughs> I mean, I wish there was. <laughs> brum, brum. That's, the, the, that's the eyebrow wiggle. The audience is like, what are they doing over there? Uh, <laughs> but we're just being goofs. It's fine. Yeah. Um. One of the things I also want to talk to you about that I really liked in your form was what is dating with a disability and trying to date with a disability made you learn about, about understanding your own emotions and try to figure all that? Like, how is that manifested um, for you? For me, it's because if I wasn't forced to, like, have any kind of emotional understanding, I would not. Like, that is not something I have, like, I don't know, I have empathy naturally, I feel. Um, but like social emotion understanding is not something that I would have unless I was forced into it. And so wanting to have a relationship and wanting to be comfortable with sex has forced me to like deal with the parts of it that are hard because believe me, if I didn't want to be in a relationship or want to have sex, I would just like th- yeah. th- those are difficult. I'm just not. <laughs> you would just yeah. You would just not worry about it. So like really wanting to fuck has has opened up a world for you that you maybe didn't wouldn't have otherwise. You could put it that way. <laughs> I could. I'm sure I could put it gentler. We could also we could also <laughs> do that. But this is just really after dark and night. Yes. No. Essentially yes. Like I like since becoming a sexually active person, I am more comfortable with, like, more sensory things than I certainly would have been otherwise. And, like, I mean, even things that wouldn't feel, like, specifically, like, sex-related, like what we were talking about before with my OCD, like, I definitely confronted more of my OCD thoughts when I was like, no, but there's a thing that I want to do that you, Mr. OCD Brain, are making difficult, and that's not okay. So, <laughs> I like how you call your brain Mr. OCD Brain. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, sex really kind of put you in tune with your disability more, too. Definitely. Um, like, I I think there is definitely that feeling of, well, I just must be doing something wrong if sex feels this, like this much of a stumbling block, but kind of realizing that, no, this is part of the same thing that makes reading hard, that makes, you know, like getting into my bed with shorts on hard, or that makes like making eye contact hard. Because I'm so used to deal, because I'm someone who was, you know, I've experienced these things since 
my entire life. So, ex- like, I'm really used to dealing with my disability. Like, that feels totally normal for me. But dealing with sex did not feel normal. So if I could connect the two, it made dealing with sex easier. Because I was like, no, I, 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 I know this thing. This, this is a, this is the thing I know. I like that. I, I kind of like because mm-hmm. it, it just it sound it sound it sounded through most of our chat today that like the disabilities made things a little bit tougher. But I love to hear that it also allowed you to kind of come out of your turtle mm-hmm. shell a little bit and like yeah. Well, and I mean like there are certainly things about my disability that I love. Like tell me those I, things. I'm ready. Yeah. So like um, I remember a couple episodes ago you talked with. Um, uh, girl boner about um, hyperfocus, and for me, I do experience hyperfocus. If only it was something you could turn on and off, that'd be great. But um, she said the same thing. She was yeah. like, "I wish that I could." <laughs> if only it were a true superpower, um, but no. Um, yeah, but like the hyperfocus for me comes with like hyper excitement. So like when there's something I'm passionate about, I am completely in it, completely to the bottom all at once. All the way immersed right now. Yeah. 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 Um, like, but yeah, like I, I definitely am really able to get passionate about things. I'm, um, I have this whole world of like people with disabilities that's like open for me as a community. Like the thing about the disability community is like, no one's disability is the same. So there's, it, it almost doesn't like, it seems like there shouldn't be a community because no one has the same experience, but because everyone has some shared experiences, it makes this basically like, because we've all experienced ableism at some point or another. We yeah. belong in this community. Yeah. But it's such a ridiculously diverse community and that, and like, like learning ASL in high school was part of, like being part of a disability community, um, being aware of disability advocacy is being part of a disability community and having a disability has given me access to that. Um, and, um, I think it gives me, I, I think you'll hear this from a lot of people with um, disabilities since it gives you a different perspective on the world and it's always interesting to have a different perspective it just does gym classes are great mm-hmm. they're it's they're super like they're it really it really changes the way mm-hmm. you see the world and i mean i know that sounds cliche but it really does mm-hmm. it make, does make you look at things differently and i also really respect mm-hmm. that you're like that you're 23 and this is this is a realization that you've come to i <laughs> didn't when i was 23 yeah um and I think part of, like, part of that does come from, like, if I get passionate about something, I dive into it. So, like, disability is something I've been interested in since I was little. So I've dived into it because I've had, it's been part of my world. And the thing my brain does is if it's a part of, if it's the thing that sparks that little thing inside my brain, I will just absolutely eat every bit of information about it i can get my hands on that sounds amazing that sounds so, so speaking of passionate things what and we've talked about what kind of sex things are hard for you would touch and mm-hmm. stuff 
what things about sex with your partner as a disabled person make mm-hmm. you passionate or do they? Um, hmm, that is a good question. Um, I don't know if I have a good answer for that. Hmm. That's okay. Yeah. But I am surprised. Um, yeah, um, I know that it does, like, I know that there is something there, but I'm not sure how to put words. Um, I guess it is that kind of, like, um, it is hard for me to get my, like, that kind of excitement into a physical thing, but, like, um, having a person that you can be excited about instead of an idea, I guess, is, so it's is the closest I have to an answer. Yeah, so it isn't so much, like, the physical act of sex with your partner. It's, like, knowing that no matter what happens during the sex, because of disability or not, this person's going to be there, and that's exciting. Right, right. I get that. So it's almost like mm-hmm. you're more, it's it's almost like you're more attached to intimacy than you are to sex and like closeness. Than um, in some ways. Um, I think also there's the idea of touch being a thing that's difficult for me, becoming a thing that feels good. Is exciting. Yeah, is, is that I, I was gonna say what's that process like, but I guess that's an ongoing process that's never ending. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think it's just like whichever f- switch is flipped, if that makes any sense. Like um, when the sex gets good, the oh, this like being really really close to a person feels good, and it doesn't ma- like all of the things that my brain is normally doing don't matter so much. So, like, there is a moment during sex then, because I wonder about this with people with ADHD and uh, mm-hmm. di- different invisible disabilities that are, like, really mm-hmm. brain-focused. Like, I, I mm-hmm. And when we've talked about sex, I've always wondered, like, is there a moment where all that stuff switches off and you can just be sexual? Yes and no, um, for me, at least. Um, I've definitely experienced that, but it is definitely not something that, like, I start having sex and that is what happens. Okay. Um, yeah. So like, and I can be having really good sex and my brain still be doing the, ah, touch kind of thing. Are there things that, okay, when that's happening for you, are there things that you do to like calm that, to continue the sex or ask, ask of your partner so that you can be, feel okay? Um, some probably change position Okay. to kind of, yeah, to like refocus because like for me with my sensory issues the how long a specific like touch is going on can be like that can be the difficult thing so if I just change what's happening not necessarily like stopping sex but just changing what you know you're doing in that specific minute um, can help and yeah, that makes. I mean, for me, that's tough because my one go-to move is Dead Turtles. So, but but yeah, yes. totally. <laughs> honestly, me, me too. Actually, 
<laughs> Dead turtles in <laughs> great position. Yeah. Well, that's a, actually that is another thing that's like if I can get my brain to be focusing on like we're doing this one thing and you don't have to worry about moving right now. If 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 you can just focus on like not being overwhelmed by the touch, that's enough, dude. So I mean, uh, and that's 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 a tough. That's a, I can imagine given all given what you've told us today, like that can be easy to try to be. And also, how do you be like? Yeah, here's a question that I have: How do you be sensual mm-hmm. with your partner when all that stuff's happening in your brain? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think mostly I'm just awkward. <laughs> And I'm lucky enough to have a partner who finds awkward endearing. Because, like, I can't imagine being like, hey, baby, what's, let's, you know, mess around slash I'm having. <laughs> well, see, like, that is, that is completely something that doesn't happen in my sex is, like, the kind of, the, you know, the typical, I don't know, like, what is, what do people do? What do you? Like, you know, know. like, like, hey, let's have sex now. Like that. that (laughs) I mean, like, I guess, I mean, we do that, but then we both laugh. (laughs) Well, it's good Um, that that you understand how ridiculous you can both be with each other and feel safe to do that. Right. And I think that that's the only way that it works is that it's, I'm with a person who the awkward works with. Well, I think we just found the title for this episode. Like, there it is right there. Um, one last question that I did have about everything when I'm thinking about it, because there was a lot that I want. There's a lot I wanted to get to, but I love how this went. Um, mm-hmm. This was great, but I do want to ask you, like, okay, so what is a sex thing? What is like a sex act that you can do that is that makes all of this stuff comfortable? Is there one thing that you can do with a partner that is? Um. See, I'm gonna get awkward now. Mutual masturbation. It's great, isn't it? I love it. It's fantastic. I, but like, oh yeah. And then so a follow up to that is how did you get over? Because we were talking earlier about like, mm-hmm. because you touch the world, you can't touch mm-hmm. someone else's parts that like that are the yeah. bathroom parts. I have not gotten over that. So in any way at all. What are the <laughs> what are the like, what is what is going through your brain when you're like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm gonna touch his genitals now? Um, basically. It's like just telling that part of my brain that is the little Mr. OCD brain that is just like, just fuck off. Just fuck off. Uh, you, you know, give me, give me two hours, then you can come back. So everybody with weird disability brain stuff, tell your brain that. Every couple, just say give me. And I think, you know what, we deserve... <laughs> As yeah. disabled people, we deserve a couple hours to just be. Yeah. And not to say that works. Like, it, it doesn't work. All like, the time. All the time. But just doing that over and over um, is what allows me to do the things that I want to do. I think that I'm, you know, I might start using that when I have anxiety over my own, my internalized ableism and all that stuff. Just mm-hmm. Because... Mm-hmm. Not the same thing, but I do have anxiety around like, oh yeah. My, oh my god, I'm disabled. How do I manage all this? Like, there's it, mm-hmm. that's there. So yeah, how do I look like I'm supposed to look like when I don't look like how I'm supposed to look like? Yeah, exactly, e- exactly that. Like you couldn't put it better into words. 
I want to end there because otherwise we'll just talk for three more hours about all the great things. This is great. Um, That's fair. Leah, how do people get a hold of you? Um, probably the best thing is Instagram. Um, I am peculiar Leah on Instagram and that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. (laughs) I will put that in the show notes for the episode today. This was so fun and so great. And thank you for taking the time in your evening. Thank you for having me. Anytime. I, I, I want to talk to you when we hit, when I hit off about some other stuff I want to do with you because there's something here that we should talk about, but, um, this is great, and thanks for coming on Disability After Dark, and I will talk to you in about three seconds when I hit off. Bye! Cool. Bye! All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. My name is, of course, Andrew Gerza, and thank you so much for listening and helping the show go. I really appreciate that you all listen and that you come back every week, and I love doing it, and I love shining a bright light on these topics, so thank you. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com where you'll find my writings, some cool videos I've been in, and you'll see where I've been talking, where I've been doing talks, and if you want to hire me to talk, you can do so there as well. If you want to follow me on the social media, you can put in all my handles on Insta, Twitter, and Facebook at TheAndrewGerza. If you want to follow the podcast specifically, you can follow us on Twitter at DisAftDarkPod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash DisabilityAfterDark. This show is a completely independent production. I literally record the show here in my bedroom in Toronto, and that's awesome. So if you want to support this fully independent program, you can head over to Patreon.com slash DisabilityAfterDark and you can pledge $1 a month to get the show early and get really cool perks like that. And I, I will give you a shout out on the air and thank you for your support. It would be super awesome if you could also leave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast so that this show all about sexuality and disability, something we don't talk about enough, can get more traction and more people can hear about the show. Lastly, if you want to be a part of Disability After Dark, you can submit your suggestions, story ideas, or your minisodes to our email inbox, disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next time, right here on the program Shining a Bright Light on Sex and Disability, Disability After Dark. New episodes of Disability After Dark will be available every Thursday on your favorite podcast app. Also available to Patreon subscribers one day early on every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright, Crippled Content Creations, 2018.